0: Hey guys, I have a question for you. How do you spread abundance? This year, Joe and I are spreading even more abundance by giving out insights on money, wealth strategies, and resources in our current newsletter, Creating Abundance in 52 Weeks, that we want to share with you for free. So sign up right now as you're listening to this episode on our website at www.abundantculture.co. That's dot C-O slash newsletter. www.abundantculture.co slash newsletter. Don't let delay get in the way of your abundant year. Now, back to the episode. Welcome back to Abundant Culture Podcast.
1: Where we dissect the mindsets and tactics of the true beasts of business.
0: People like Gary Vee, Grant Cardone, and Warren Buffett.
1: All to create a blueprint to experience life more abundantly. Hey everybody, it's Joe. Welcome back to the Abundant Culture Podcast. We're so glad to have you back again this week. Today, we're speaking to a woman who teaches other women how to be powerful and authentic leaders. In this day and age, we're having more and more women take positions of power in the workplace. And that is a really good thing. Studies have shown that women in leadership positions actually increase the profitability and the revenue of most companies. So this is definitely something that's important to not only men, but women as well. It's important for everybody in order to prosper. So we're going to be speaking to a leadership coach expert who teaches women how to best lead their teams and whatever mission that they have. So get ready to listen to and learn from our good friend, Christina Stathopoulos.
0: Hi, Christina, and thank you again for coming on to the Abundant Culture Podcast. We are super excited to have you because when you and I talked um, a few weeks back, we had a really good conversation, and I told you that I couldn't wait to talk about it on the podcast. But before we get into the actual conversation, we have to ask you, what is your backstory? like? How did you get into business and why?
2: Yeah, sure thing. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. And my backstory is a pretty interesting one. So to start a little bit at the beginning and then do some spark notes along the way, I had the privilege of going to a women's college for undergrad. And so I spent four years on a campus that said, hey, it doesn't matter that you're a woman. It doesn't matter that your parents are immigrants. It doesn't matter that you're queer. Your voice matters and you can change the world. And I was like, heck yeah, that's awesome. I can change the world, you're right. And um, you know, lo and behold, four years later, I graduated and I hit the streets of New York City to get employed. And I discovered that the rest of the real world was not talking that way, was not interested in that line of thinking and really didn't care about much besides my resume. And even then with what I thought was a decent resume, didn't care much about that either. So I found myself with two degrees in chemistry and English literature, a great GPA, and all these other things in 2014, unemployed for the first seven or eight months after I graduated from college. It was a huge smack in the face, like, really crippling, like really disempowering for me. And I remember I would take my degrees off of my resume just to get mall jobs because I just like needed a way to make money. Like I couldn't sit in my parents' house feeling sorry for myself. I needed to like do something. So I was working at Lush Cosmetics as like a sales rep. I was tutoring people on the side and I was heading into New York City to go to networking events and hope that I'd finally catch my big break. And sure enough, around, I'd say maybe nine or 10 months after I graduated, I met a woman at a networking event that offered me what I thought would be that break. She herself was also Greek American. She was about 10 or 15 years my senior. She had a background at a large corporate. Gig, I won't say which because I don't like giving too many identifying details. Um, And she had started her own company. And the company produced different networking events across Manhattan for professionals. And she liked my vibe. She liked that we had similar backstory. She offered me a position. And I thought, like, I didn't even care what the position was. All I could think was, like, this is great. Like, this woman gets me. We come from the same place. She's going to be my mentor. She's going to be that person that you know, cares about what I have to say and contribute. And like, this is, this is where I take off. Spoiler alert, it was not, you know, unfortunately, I was faced with someone who was an amazing leader and was brought up in a very patriarchal leadership style, which was like, hey, there's only room for one woman at the table. Hmm. And so despite all that I admired about her, I often found that she would put down my ideas, she would belittle me, she would be really hard on me, she'd say something was stupid and then be using it the next week as her own idea. And it was like, if not even being employed, like after graduating was rough, this was like rock bottom for me. And um, I just, I had this moment of realizing that like, I'd been waiting around for some like golden ticket invitation to like claim space and matter and be powerful. And that experience had me realizing like, oh, there's no invitation coming. Like if I want to be a leader, if I want my voice to have impact, I have to seize the space. I can't wait for it to be handed to me. And so the way that I tried to see this, the space for myself was I had gained all this experience with producing events, working at this company. And I started to produce them myself specifically for women and specifically for women's leadership because I just realized like, wow, like if this is how I got treated, how is it for other women out there. And so I started producing different events, panels, salons, workshops, like you name it, I tried it. Mm -hmm. And along the way, I had interviewed a life coach to be a moderator for a panel I was producing. And we hit it off, like everything she said sounded like it was coming out of my diary. We ended up producing events together for months. It was an amazing partnership. And finally, I'll never forget at the end of one of the summits that we did for International Women's Day, she came up to me. Actually, it's a really funny story. I had gotten a wine sponsor for the event and I caught her leaving. So I'm like running across the room with like a bottle shoved under my arm, wanting to like sneak it into her bag before (laughs) she left. And she turns to me and she goes, Christina, have you ever thought of being a coach? And I was like, uh, I don't, this was five or six years ago now. So right before the coaching industry, like really had the boom that we're seeing right now. And so I still didn't really understand what it was or what coaches did. And I was like, maybe she invited me to an observation of a training program that she went through. And I fell in love, like it just clicked for me. And, you know, I think why it clicked for me was here I was producing events to put experts in front of people so they could make the difference. But the idea of being trained so that I could make the difference myself and have conversations that matter to people that really, really lit me up. So now here we are. I went through the training program. Four years later, I run my own coaching practice. It's called Hear Her Roar. And you can guess it based on the story. I really focus on developing the leadership of millennial women.
0: That's so awesome. So a question I have for you is you focus on coaching women now. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned that you grew up like in a patriarchal household. So is that the reason that you went to an all girl school, like, it seems like there's, there was a pattern, like, the whole time, and you kind of just kept on that, that flow of things.
2: Yeah, you know what's really funny is, um, so I grew up, like, just to, like, uh, set the record straight, like, I grew up in a really privileged part of New Jersey, like, I had access to great education, I had access to, you know, students around me that came from, like, you know, really affluent households, and so competition was the name of the game from like four years old, like for as long as I could remember, as soon as they started putting letters instead of check marks on a report card, that's all that mattered. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it's interesting because I think growing up in that environment, like really morphed to like how I wanted to express myself as a, as a person anyway. And the biggest part of that was what I noticed was that I rarely was labeled girly. Like, if anything, like, you know, I faced bullying because I would be the girl in gym class that if someone shoved me, I shoved them back. You know, if, if someone tries to get past me with the ball, I blocked them. <laughs> and and it was interesting because, like, I almost started to develop this, like, inner monologue of, like, yeah, I got to be tough, like, forget all that other stuff. And so going to a women's college was not predictable at all for <laughs> me because I think I almost had developed a little bit of, like, that inner misogynist, but it was more so, I think the reason I created that was because based on media and my own experience, like being a woman was supposed to look a certain way. It was supposed to be about being polite and being dainty and wearing nice dresses and acting a little dumber around boys and not being too loud and not being aggressive and not being pushy. And like that was sort of the, the idea of a woman that was built in my mind just because of what was around me. And I happened to tour that campus, Mount Holyoke College's campus, almost by accident because it was right next to another place I was seeing anyway. And it was the tour guide that changed my mind because she talked about all of the different facets of being a woman that that institution celebrates. And like they really talked about being a woman from a place of like it just being an expression of who you are and all of it counting. And that was the thing that I was like, wow, I've never been allowed to count for who I am (laughs) ever in my life. Like, that's what I care about. And sure enough, like, you know, I've mentioned a little bit about my background. Like, I'm a daughter of Greek immigrants. I'm queer. I am a woman. Like, being on a campus that said, like, that's amazing about you and you should celebrate that, it was so vastly different from how it had ever gone for me. Like, it really gave me a lot of confidence and a lot of self-worth spending time there. That's
1: awesome. Yeah. yeah. So the parts that I really uh, resonate with your story is the fact that you had succeeded uh, really, really well in school, but you were unemployed for several months. I know how that is. It's ridiculous. It's like mm-hmm. you do everything you were asked to do and life still really sucks <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, for some untold reason. And also your, uh, one of your first mentors wasn't necessarily receptive of your ideas and you had the the willingness to really learn the craft and work on doing it better on the side until you could jump into that full time. And I really, really love that because uh, that's very similar to my story. And also, I think actually that's how Lamborghini actually came to be mm. because he was actually an employee for Ferrari and he had this idea. Ferrari didn't like it. And then he went off and started Lamborghini, which is probably like their number one competitor. Uh, So I I think that's extremely awesome. And I feel like more people uh, should really work on being the heroes of their own story, uh, just like you have. You know, you you really dug yourself out from this, you know, really dark place and, and really prospered from that. So I really, really do respect that.
2: Thank you so much. Yeah. I I love the way you put it, being like the hero of your own story. It's really awesome. There's a lot of power in that.
1: For sure. So what gives, and this is a question that my wife Jasmine came up with, what gives someone permission to really be their best selves, whatever that may look like for the individual?
2: Ooh, what a good question. That one's smart. I think think there's two parts of it, right? Because On one hand, you know, something on my mind a lot these days is, you know, where we come from and the privilege that we're born with versus like, you know, what we're not born with and all these different pieces. So I do believe that, you know, unfortunately, we still live in a time and place where some people are just born with more permission to be their best selves. And I want to like acknowledge that because what I'm about to say isn't to challenge that like, (laughs) it's like, I'm not here to say like, just don't worry about it. And I want to like put that in because I understand what I'm going to say anyway, as my answer could challenge that a little, which is I really think the, the way that you get permission to be your best self is you have to give it to yourself. You know, that's what I really got from my own experiences. You know, I mentioned, you know, going through a school system that put a lot of pressure on me to be the best. I was raised by parents who wanted the best for me, you know, coming here to give me the life they couldn't have. And that put pressure on me to be the best. I took on a job to be the best, but those are all someone else's definition of what the best is, mm-hmm. and seeking that amount of external validation is incredibly exhausting. Like, I was burned out at 23 or 24 years old. That's not how life's supposed to go. Right. And so I, I think the permission starts with you of like you really seeing, you know, whether it's being at Lamborghini and having an idea that you won't put down or you know, looking back on 12 years of schooling and wondering why you did it all, or, you know, just having that like one moment where you end up on stage by accident and you say something and it makes a difference and it makes you feel a certain way. And you want to keep chasing that feeling. Like it's really on you to say like, oh, like this is my best self, not the best that someone else has created for me. Mm -hmm. And so it's like actually up to me to go and seize it. And I'm the only person that can give myself permission to do that. And I think that's like the hardest mind challenge that anyone ever goes up against because it's so much easier to go back to what everyone else is perceiving as the best or better or valuable
0: or whatever it is. Absolutely. And I can relate to that a lot. And I guess that's why I asked you the question because Joe and I were even talking about this like a couple of weeks ago in our newsletter. And I noticed that I started feeling burnt out just like you, um, but it was probably when I was about like 20 or 21 Mm -hmm. um, because I realized that I was doing a lot of stuff that my parents wanted me to do and I was trying to live up to all these expectations and then like outdo them and be better than the expectations so they're like yeah she's gonna go get her doctorates and I'm like flying through my bachelor's like while we're on deployment and then getting home and taking like the maximum amount of credit hours. So I'm like pushing myself to be the best for them. But then I started to realize like, is this really what I want to do? I don't want to do kinesiology anymore because I can't even pass anatomy class. (laughs) (laughs) And so when I got into business, there was like this huge disconnect and I kind of fell out with my family a little bit because they didn't understand like, why is she trying to become a business owner why is she going this way when she already had everything planned out and once I like overcame that it took probably about a year or two for my family to finally accept that like I'm gonna do whatever I want to do and I really don't care about people's opinions anymore (laughs) (laughs) and it just felt so freeing to finally like do what I wanted to do and I finally gave like myself the permission to be who I wanted to be instead of like following behind other people. So, yeah, I felt so freeing like when I found that permission.
2: Yeah, totally. And I think like the thing I'll add to that is I think what I think like part two is like, so part one is give yourself the permission. Mm -hmm. And then part two is I think you got to surround yourself with other people who believe in the permission you just gave. So, you know, as an example, like similarly, you know, when I told my parents I was going to be an entrepreneur, they were like, why (laughs) like they're like that's what we did that's hard like why would you want to do that to yourself and you know similarly like a lot of my closest friends growing up they're amazing people and they have amazing careers but you know they've chosen careers that have very clear paths for themselves Mm -hmm. and so for me it was really about surrounding myself with other coaches that have really powerful visions and really care about the message that they're putting out into the world because Like think about it for a sec. If you waver on your commitment to like being that best version of yourself and the only people around you are the ones that stick to the status quo, like you're going to give in to the, maybe I should just go back to the nine to five, like versus if you're like, Hey, I'm really struggling. This is really hard. And other people being like, Oh yeah, I hit that low three weeks ago or, Oh yeah, I'm good right now. But I have my, you know, quarterly crisis of, should I go back to X, Y, Z? Like, I think it. It gives you like the stamina and the resiliency to push push ahead and keep forward.
1: Yeah, and I think that's so important too because I, I realized the the difference between, I, I feel like one of the privileges I got extremely, extremely lucky with was having parents where I could literally say the most ridiculous thing. And they're like, okay, well, we'll root you 100% even though we don't know what that is. And it's like, I've always had that. And when I grew up and saw that that wasn't normal uh it really started to show up in other people's lives because it was like i i was even at track practice when i was in high school one day and it was this uh girl that i like she was on a track team too but her mom like literally took her out of track because she wanted her to be a professional cheerleader even though she was an amazing runner and it was it was really Eye opening, like wow, like my parents legitimately will let me do whatever I want as long as it's positive. And I think a lot of times parents are the first people that have the ability to give you permission, but sometimes they'll give you permission in this small box that you don't want to be in. Mm -hmm. And for whatever reason, I was lucky enough to not have that. And I had to, when I, you know, got older, I really had to recognize that as a is a privilege because it was, I thought it was just something that was like mandatory that everybody did. And, uh, it wasn't. So I really had to be empathetic to other people who did not have that because I was like, Oh, just tell her you're going to do this and it'll work out. And it was like, no, you don't know my mom. And it's like, well, what the, what's wrong with her? <laughs> <I'm> like, so, <laughs> So uh, I really had to be uh empathetic to that and I I like how you said surround yourself with other people that that give you permission because luckily because I grew up with that I didn't need as many as many people around me as maybe uh Jasmine did but I saw it like really started to change when we started to surround ourselves with more business owners she went from being a person that only wanted to do like the back office stuff to like now she wants to negotiate, she wants mm-hmm. to sell and all these different things that I wasn't betting on her wanting to do. Mm-hmm. I thought it was gonna be my job description forever, so it was really, <laughs> really awesome to just see that transformation in as little as like two to three years basically it was mm-hmm. really amazing so another question I wanted to ask is uh you mainly focus on coaching uh women and in your opinion, what's the difference between coaching women and uh, versus coaching men in certain leadership uh, development roles?
2: Cool. Yeah, definitely. So, first of all, I want to be clear. Like, I'm not a leading expert in gender studies or gender sciences. So, like, anyone who listens to this, don't take it as a fact. It's really just built on my like my personal experience as a woman leader, and then also coaching a lot of women leaders. I think the biggest thing is, like I mentioned. Most leadership models in the world have been patriarchal in nature, especially the ones that are like dominant forces in the world stage right now. Like if you're listening here from the United States, like just take a look at our government, take a look at, you know, how politics go. I won't go into personal opinions about it, but the faces tend to look a specific way. Yeah, Yeah. And I think one challenge that women face when they want to go into leadership is you know you talked about the idea of like having permission in a very tight box and i feel like leadership has been designed with men in mind and so what effective leadership looks like has been designed with men in mind and i think a lot of women force themselves to take on characteristics because they they see what has come before them and they feel well that has to be what makes a good leader yeah good leadership has to only be rigorous Has to only be results based, has to only be loud and bold and direct. And I wanna be clear like, yes, I believe all those qualities can create great leadership. Um, And I also believe that we're just like reaching a time where now more than ever we're really present to like emotional intelligence. Yeah. And it's actually necessary to look at compassion, heart, you know, communication, unity, the ability to build people up, the ability to speak to someone like they're your partner rather than they're your subordinate. Yeah. And in my experience, like most women that are raised in like heteronormative cultures, like we're raised to be those people, like we're raised to have those connections, we're raised to be in touch with those things. Yeah. And so oftentimes, like I love that question of like having permission to be your best self. Because what I find is like a lot of women going into leadership development, it's about defining the best leader they want to be rather than the best leader mode, like model or mold that they feel the need to fill or perform for.
1: Absolutely. And I I really like how you pointed that out. And it's something that I found to be very true for myself because being in business, obviously most of the people you do business with are men by default. If you're not targeting women-specific things, it's like you're probably just gonna run into more men than women. So I would say it's probably the people we do business with is probably 75% men and then maybe 25% uh, women. And I think a lot of times, it's just the the interactions are so different. So I would notice that we would go to uh, networking events and this used to totally piss Jasmine off. And <laughs> I didn't even notice that it was happening until she pointed it out. And then it started to piss me off too. <laughs> but um, we would go to a networking event and you know uh, somebody will approach us or I'll approach them And me and the guy will shake each other's hands and whatnot and, you know, do the hand on the shoulder and everything. And then when Jasmine either introduces herself or I introduce her, like they'll go in for a hug and it's like, and I didn't really recognize it, but it used to upset her so much because I guess she saw that it was like just a different energy Mm -hmm. when uh, the guy was talking to her or approaching her. Or they
0: wouldn't shake my hand at all.
1: Yeah, or they would not shake her hand at all, which is definitely I was oblivious to it, and I think that's one of the things that. How do you actually help women to overcome how they're treated? Because I, I feel like after you give yourself permission, there's still this external world that view you views you through a certain lens, and uh, because I'm a guy, I don't I don't like I I I know the lens is there. But it's like, wow, I I wouldn't even know what to do in those situations. Like, how do you overcome somebody seeing you as this thing as opposed to the totality of who you are and what you are?
2: Yeah, definitely. Well, first of all, I just want to say, like, that pisses me off that they'll hug you or they won't shake your hand. And it's so interesting, right? Because, like, so in addition to being a coach in private practice, I train coaches um, through accomplishment coaching. And I'm one of the, higher level of leadership positions there. And so it's interesting because, you know, sometimes we have live observations that you can participate in. And so sometimes my husband will come and show support and he's mentioned, he's like, wow, like, it's pretty cool that like I live in a world where like I get introduced in like people are like, oh yeah, you're Christina's husband versus like what so often is the scenario of like, oh yeah, this is Joe and his wife just <laughs> or like hey you must be joe's wife like they don't even bother to know your name (laughs) just different things like that so i just wanted to add that anecdote in because i totally get it um as for like how do you continue to be the totality of you even what a great question i love the wording of that so i think there there's two pieces for it I think the the first part, and I know this is true for me, is, you know, starting off as a coach who then quickly gained like a high-level leadership position in my early to mid-20s, like that's confronting for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Like even if you don't necessarily have any bias against women, you may have bias against age, like you may feel like, well, wait a second, I've built 45 businesses over my 30-year career, why is this kid leading me? All those different pieces. And I noticed that when I would first be faced with those things, it would trigger all my self-doubt because when people see you that way, it just feeds into like, oh yeah, like I knew I wasn't good enough. And so I think the first, like the most important thing to realize is like, you can't actually change other people, but what you can do is like change and transform, like how you react and respond. My default reaction to those scenarios used to be to get really righteous and angry. Like, I'd almost be like, yeah, you better effing believe I'm a 25-year-old that's your boss. Like, I almost, like I'd have to, like, put on, like, the mean face and be like, yeah, and I'm going to kick your butt. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> like, that, was, that was, like, because, like, I was like, I got to assert dominance. Like, that was, like, how I used to handle it. Where on the inside, I'm like, I'm a tiny little maggot, and they've called me on my BS, and I don't know what I'm doing, and, and all those little things versus like oh i've done a lot of work to realize like oh yeah like that man's triggered by me being powerful as a woman that has nothing to do with me it actually has to do with whatever doubts he has about himself or his own masculinity or what it means if he listens to me and i can choose to be like to prove him right by being really aggressive and belittling or you know my not so graceful <laughs> defaults in those scenarios or I can just continue to be graciously me, like regardless of the pushback. Like just continue to be like, hey, like you know, I'm here to be this way in a way that makes a difference, not that puts people down or disempowers them. And I think that's the most important piece.
1: I, I really do uh, like that too, because honestly, I feel like, and I don't know if this is a guy thing, but we totally would have went there, <laughs> like as a guy, <laughs> like we would have went there for sure. Uh, like I was just thinking in my head, like. Well, if he checked me on it, I would have been like, well, didn't you pay the invoice? Mm-hmm. I mean, that must mean something. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah, and, and it's it's a very strange dynamic too because Jasmine in our business and both in our relationship too, she she brings that that grace of like just knowing who she is and she doesn't need to really be in competition with somebody and I'm kind of like, I don't want to say the opposite, but if I'm being quite honest, um, I'm, like, more so the the guy where it's, like, I'll, I'll let you have one, and then after that, like, then I'm going to check you the same thing <laughs> that you were just talking about, and and it's it's something where I, I just admire how, like, women have to overcome uh, that that power struggle a lot of times, because I think that's what it is. I think guys, a lot of times, they just have this this weird ego thing, you know, mm-hmm. and I don't really know what it is, but I, I've seen it a lot being in uh, business. And plus, we're in, like, you know, finance, investing, and all of those guys think that, you know, they're the king of the world, and they're yeah. the smartest freaking, And and a lot of them aren't that smart at all. But <laughs> it's like... <laughs> They'll they'll think that and they'll they'll belittle you. Like there's been times where we went to uh, a meeting with somebody and they say they'll say I will say something and they'll say oh that's cute
0: like (laughs) (laughs) Like, uh... what (laughs) Um, yeah
1: but that's neither here nor there. But um and also I I really feel like in this process you really your your goal is to coach people and give them the permission to or have them give themselves the permission to be them, their best selves. Like, how do you walk through, uh, walk someone through that process? Because I just feel like whenever you can, like, you could train somebody to do something like make a coffee, uh, build a motor or mm-hmm. all of these different things. They're very physical, but I feel like that's a very inward jo- journey mm-hmm. and somebody can tell it to you, but I feel like it's so hard to really, uh, take that journey And really recognize who you are as a person and give yourself permission to be all of that and more
2: definitely well you know I think the first part of it is people need to be willing to be coached like I can be the most brilliant successful masterful thoughtful self-aware person on the planet but if you're not actually willing to change or transform like it doesn't matter oh absolutely (laughs) so like I, I I joke with I joke and I don't joke, but like on my website, when it talks about like, how do you work with me? I say like, hey, we set up a call to both decide that we want to work with each other. Um, Because, you know, when I first started, I was, you know, I was like, I'll take whoever will pay me. And then I worked with a lot of people who didn't actually want to do the work. And I made it mean something about myself or my skills. And it's like, no, there are just people who aren't ready and that's okay yeah whereas so then when you are ready i i really believe that in coaching work awareness is the most important piece like because most people especially if they want to coach they're sort of already in the like the self-starter phase so Mm -hmm. it's not that you don't know how to take action it's that you're not aware of like why the actions you have been taking aren't working or what new actions you could take that are more of an expression of who you are who you say you want to be absolutely yeah. So like awareness is like the most important part. And then I think similarly, I think there's um a common misconception that coaching is about like fixing what's wrong with you or co- or like, you know, coaching is about becoming a completely different person and stopping all those bad habits and and whatever it is. Whereas like I actually celebrate people as they are. You know, like Joe, you were just mentioning that like you have that competitive streak in you and like that's amazing. That like that streak is likely what makes you so successful because it ensures that you don't stop and ensures that if you're being played by someone, you call them out on it. Like it's actually a really great skill to have. With you, and I'm not trying to coach you, I'm just like giving an example. I
1: appreciate it.
2: Yeah. It's
1: free. (laughs)
2: Mm, Yeah, but like I love helping people see what the benefits of what they already have to work with are Mm -hmm. and then just notice if there's costs or gaps to it. So for example, like, you know, There may have been relationships that you accidentally burned bridges with that you didn't intend to, or people that you felt like you couldn't trust anymore, or even stories that you made up about certain types of business owners because of that need to be like, you know, get checked or get wrecked. And, and like, that's great. And that's like totally fine. But it's the way I think of it is we all come to the table with a hammer. Like we all, we all have like in our tool belt, a hammer for you. It might be your competitiveness for Jasmine, we mentioned like your grace and your ability to like stay true to yourself. Like I would say for me, it's pro- like I like being the smartest person in the room. That's usually my hammer, and hammers are great for nailing nails. But yeah. not everything you encounter in building a business, in creating a relationship, in having a better work life balance, and whatever it is that you want, is a nail.
1: Right. That's
2: so. I <laughs> love that. Yeah. yeah,
1: and you're totally right about that. There, there has been uh, bridges that I've burned. For petty reasons, it's like you you try to justify it. But at the same time, there are times where I could have been more graceful and it could have saved a relationship. And even if it didn't necessarily help me, it probably, one, it could, one, help me in the future. But two, it also kind of saved a relationship with that person. And you never know what that relationship would have been like uh, today. So that's mm-hmm. totally true. So how, a
0: question I just had is how does someone find like their leadership style? Because you mentioned that um, some people try to fit into these like modes, these like specific types of leadership styles, but how does someone find like the one that's like specifically for them, whether it's like mixing a whole bunch of different styles together and doing their own thing or, you know, going within like one of the ways that are already there. Mm, Yeah. Well, so
2: what's the expression like imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. (laughs) I I really believe that, you know, if you want to be a leader, like the same way that if you want to be a musician or if you want to be an artist, like what do you do? You study art that you love. You listen to music that you love. You create covers of Beatles songs or you try rapping like Kendrick Lamar. Like you, you practice the things that resonate with you. Mm-hmm. And so I really believe as a leader, like it's important, whether it's uh, looking at the leaders in your own organization and seeing like who resonates with you or if it's about uh, watching the news or listening to podcasts or reading books. Like I think it's super valuable to consume content that kind of informs you of all the different styles that are out there. And then from there, I think it it sounds simple and I get how it can be hard if you doubt, if you doubt yourself, but I think it's really just about asking yourself like, well, who's the leader that I want to be and for what cause, Yeah, you know, for myself, I really care about, you know, I mentioned millennial women and their leadership styles, but really even like a, a notch above that is I work with so many women that have created so much success. They are such hard workers and they are exhausted and not enjoying any of it. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, I ask myself, like, how do I serve a woman like that? Like, how do I make sure that she gets to have this abundantly joyful life that reflects how hard she's worked for it? And it's like, well, who's the leader I have to be to make that happen? I've got to walk my talk. Like, I have to work on my own work-life balance. I have to be willing to make time for myself. Like, I need to hold myself with tons of confidence and know when to say no to things that I have my sanity and all those different pieces. So I would say study up. And then also think about like, why, why do you want to be a leader? Like who for, what for? Because I think that'll inform who you need to be to meet that. Definitely.
0: Definitely. So we've covered like so much on this podcast and it was so great. Um, So what is the number one takeaway that you like for someone to walk away from this episode with?
2: Ooh, great question. That totality is a super cool word and it stuck with me this (laughs) entire time that we've been speaking. Thank you. Um, Yeah, and I think just the other thing is I think a lot of what we've spoken to is about, you know, how do you be yourself out in the world? Mm -hmm. And so I don't know if we've explicitly said this, but I think part of giving yourself permission to be your best self is giving yourself permission to be all of yourself. You're not going to get anywhere beating yourself up for the habits that you don't think work or the qualities you have as a leader that you don't think are good enough. It's really just about exploring all those things and deciding, you know, where to turn the volume up and where to turn the volume down, but ultimately accepting all of it as you.
1: I love that. Yeah. And, and that's uh, such a great point that you made because I remember I remember uh, f- a couple months ago, this girl I went to high school with, I was trying to give her advice because uh, she, she said she was struggling financially and I tried to her, uh, give her advice and then she kind of like got upset mm. at the advice I tried to give and then she called me weird. And then her friend jumped in and said, yeah, he's been weird since high school. And I I took it to heart. But then what I realized was that being weird or sometimes socially awkward was kind of something that worked for me. I I made it work. It's it's one of those things because I'm always thinking about things outside of the box a little bit. And it it actually is a I have an idea to actually turn the uh, word weird or weirdo into like a clothing line or something one day and then just wear it proudly because when I looked at the definition, the definition of weird is actually very positive. So uh, you're right about like giving yourself permission to be all of that, even if you don't necessarily think that it's it helps you in a certain way.
2: Yeah, well, let me know when your merch line comes out because I'm a total weirdo and I would wear that proudly. For sure. <laughs>
1: So you're on the Abundant Culture Podcast, and we feel the need to ask this question to everybody who comes on because we always get very, very unique answers. And it's how do you spread abundance uh, to the people around you, whether it be in your business or even in your personal life? How do you like to spread abundance?
2: Oh, I love that. I think the thing that that I do the most is the way I know that my life is abundant is by how much joy I have in a given day. And so the way that I love to spread abundance is really by just being a goofy weirdo that makes people laugh. (laughs) You know, leadership, I think, denotes the like, I'm thinking business now, like, leadership, like, kind of has this connotation of, like, it's hard work, and it's serious, and it's professional. And it, it is, and it can be. And I think, you know, being able to laugh when things feel really hard and offer, you know, joyful perspective to people when they don't have a lot to be happy about with themselves. And even just like celebrating and acknowledging people. Like, you know, right now with everything going on with COVID-19 and people feeling really isolated and alone, like I'm the friend that's like, let's get on Zoom and do a trivia night and just like laugh our brains off. Like to me, abundance and joy are totally equivalent factors. And I know I'm doing my part when the people around me are laughing and having a good
0: time. That's awesome. (laughs) That's awesome. I think that's the first time we've heard someone um, like say specifically laughing because every time we ask the question, like we always get different answers. So it's just really cool to see like how different people like to spread abundance and what, abundance really means to them yeah
1: and it's always in the simple things Mm -hmm. for sure
0: so for the person that they like absolutely love you and maybe they want you to speak at their event you know when all this crazy madness is (laughs) over um, or maybe they want to interview on their podcast, or maybe they want coaching from you, or maybe they just want to, I don't know, catch up over coffee or something because they just absolutely love you. How does that person get into contact with you or your team?
2: Yeah, great question. So the easiest way to find me is at hearherroar.net. That's my website. Or you can email me at Christina at hearherroar.net. I'm also super active on Instagram. It's herextinaroar. And the last thing I'll say, kind of going off of your question of how do you discover your leadership style, if you visit my website right now, I've actually created a quiz to help you identify your leadership gremlin type. So actually specifically the part of your leadership that may have some benefits to it, but also some costs that you don't find very effective or helpful. So it's a super fun little quiz. I based it off of the ones you used to take in like 17 Magazine. Mm
0: -hmm. So it's
2: both silly and effective, silly and knowledgeable. I like to think of it. That's cool. (laughs) That's awesome. I love it.
1: So we appreciate all the information and all the wealth of knowledge that you shared uh, with us today. Uh, And not only us, but our viewers, our listeners, all of that. Uh, We truly appreciate that. And especially for um, our, our women listeners, just knowing that whatever it is about them that they feel is not necessarily a leader is supposed to look like that they can still use that they don't have to throw that quality away and I think even if we're being honest most men would recognize that there's certain things about them that doesn't seem like it will make a good leader mm-hmm. but you can use it in their correct way so that's something that I learned from you that I picked up on I appreciate you and your story and we're gonna have to figure out a reason to get you on the podcast for a part two episode So uh, I just want to say thank you and we really appreciate you.
2: Thank Thank you you so much. Thanks for having
1: me. Take care. You You too. So that's all we have for today, folks. I hope you got as much value out of this as we did. Keep in mind, the only way we can improve is through constructive feedback. So remember to rate and review this episode. Also, you are not the only person that needs to know this super valuable information. So be sure to subscribe and share as well. Stay tuned for the next episode. And remember to always spread abundance. Peace.